Hello, Jason Klom here. Uh, thank you guys for joining us this week. This episode is one of my favorites. Um, a long-awaited episode for me. Not to rub it in. I know he feels bad about it, but he shouldn't because it was well worth the wait. This is Jimmy Pardo. Um, he wanted to talk about Richard Lewis, I'm in Pain, uh, one of his TV specials because he didn't really do albums. So uh, this is a lot of fun to talk about. It's different, and it's a it's a necessary exception. It's 1985. It's a time when he would have had an, a record if he wanted one, but he didn't. So And it's great. It's fun to listen to. Clips throughout, as usual. But I wanted to make sure that uh, I get it out there uh, that uh, Jimmy's um, podcast-a-thon is coming up, which benefits Smile Train. It is on November 28th, which is the day after Thanksgiving. It's 12 hours of comedy. And again, it benefits Smile Train, which is a great charity which um, provides surgeries to children with cleft palates. Um, And on a not charitable note, but something that I wanted to make sure I I brought up, is uh, I have another podcast called called Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour. And uh, my buddy Dan and I have been doing comedy together for 20-some years now, since we were about 13. And we're releasing our first album in a dozen years or more. Uh, it's called. It's a Christmas album. It's a sketch album called Ho Christmas Tree. All of the albums have Ho in the title because it started when we were young enough that that was hilarious. It's still pretty funny, but that's called Ho Christmas Tree, and uh, it comes out the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, November 25th, and uh, it's going to be a free download, so you'll be able to go to StolenDress.com and get it there. Uh, you can buy the CDs, and it's also going to come uh, packaged uh, as a, a special limited edition uh, version of the album, which is the smallest comedy album in history. And I mean that when I say that the smallest, I mean one centimeter by one centimeter square. It's going to be a micro SD card in a one centimeter sleeve. So uh, maybe 1.2 centimeters, but don't hold me to the one centimeter thing. Um, so that's a thing. Uh, it's uh, We've got a lot of great guests on it, uh, including past guests on this show. Um, James Urbaniak, uh, Philip Proctor, a number of other wonderful people joining in. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. But again, I want to emphasize Jimmy Pardo's Parkcastathon comes up November 28th. 12 hours of comedy to benefit Smile Train. Thanks so much. You notice he never entertained uh, in the White House during a Republican administration, although the Kennedys always had him. Lyndon Johnson, he was like uh, like a toy to Lyndon Johnson. He was like a court jester. And then uh, he could make Lyndon really laugh. Right? He would just piss himself with laughter. You know? And uh, But Nixon never found Richard that funny. And I'm not sure Jerry Ford did either, although Ford went through all the motions. He tried to just get on the Richard Lewis bandwagon. I think Jerry Ford liked being seen with uh, Richard. Made him look good. He's volatile. You know, his material has a half-life. You kind of think about it later, and it it hits you. It comes back to you. I've seen, actually, audiences laughing on the freeway because they've seen his show and didn't laugh at the time, but it hits them on the way home, and they, they respond then. He's gotten many standing ovations when people get to their house. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Lewis! Hi everybody, Comedy on Vinyl Podcast. With me this week is Jimmy Pardo. Hello. Hi, Jimmy Pardo. Hello, Jason. So you wanted to pick... I, I made an exception this week because we're not doing a vinyl... Although, I, it, this is weird that I can't find a vinyl release of a... 
TV special that was on 85? 85. 85. So... I don't know why I can't find a vinyl release. I don't think he released any vinyl or CDs until recently. Is that just seems crazy? Counterintuitive to who he was. Yeah, hundred percent. I but and I mostly listened to it. I just you know I I found a way to download it because I you know I had to listen to it like a million times to mm-hmm. get the gist of it because I know Richard Lewis and I find Richard Lewis very funny, but. I don't think I knew 85 Richard Lewis. Let me say, uh, and, and by the way, just so that, uh, and I apologize for my phone. It's really uh, I listened to the Pulp Revenge episode, I believe your cat came in at some point. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so my phone buzzing mm-hmm. is not as uh, tragic as Pulp Revenge of murdering your cat. <laughs> um, I wanted to do Robert Klein. I wanted yes. to do Robert Klein, either right. Child of the 50s or Mind Over Matter, mm-hmm. or even New Teeth, which yes. is a great album. Mm-hmm. Um and you told me that Paul Provenza had just done it. Yes. So then I was like, well, who are my other heroes? You know, so my heroes... You're not the only one. Uh, that want to do Robert Klein? No, that, that either. But that, whose phone is fucking... Who else want to do Robert Klein? No, thus far, just you. Just the phone. Yep. Uh, so then I was like, uh, you know, I, and the reason was, like, Richard Lewis would have always been my first choice. Mm-hmm. But Robert Klein, I knew had vinyl. I knew mm-hmm. he had albums. Sure. And so I was being true to your program. Of course. No, that's legit. And the thing about this is, though, like, I mean, what, what are you supposed to do? 85 is the era of vinyl comedy. It's fine. I think it's just as legit. Who else was in 85? When was Jackie? Jackie Mason? Jackie Mason, probably. But, I mean, everybody was really, you know... Eddie Murphy uh, had albums out around that Stephen time. Stephen Wright. Of course, Stephen Wright. Sure. I had a pony. What, what yeah. year is that? Is that 85? That's around that time. I don't know. I don't own it. So if I don't own it, I don't, I'm a little I concerned. I will say this, Jason. Uh-huh. I'm a little uh-huh. concerned about you. And listen to that mm-hmm. Paul Provenza. Go ahead. Your whole bag mm-hmm. is that I'm this comedy nerd. Your word, not mine. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm a comedy nerd who loves comedy on yes. vinyl. Mm-hmm. Yet I don't own Robert Klein's Mind Over Matter. Mm-mm. Shouldn't you own every comedy album on vinyl? Go to Dan Pasternak's house and tell me how that's possible on, on my salary. I, uh, well, you can go to a used record store, uh-huh. and I'm guessing you could find uh, Stephen Wright for a quarter. Yes. You could find Probably. Jackie Mason for a quarter. It's not as cheap as you would think. But yeah, comedy's the cheapest final you're going to get. Uh, I'm not going to buy everything. I buy it if somebody suggests it. I buy it if I have a particular interest in it. Mm-hmm. It's got a goofy cover. Uh, Robert Klein was a guy who I just knew as Robert Klein. I didn't know his stand-up. I didn't grow up on his stand-up or grow up seeing him on TV. So if you see right. the guy on TV, your first instinct is, I'm going to listen to this guy. My first exposure to vinyl comedy was Carlin, because my parents had it. Sure, of course. So I listened to it over and over again. And the yeah. Smothers Brothers, those are two kind of weird opposite sides of a Yeah, but, but again, if, but if you're into comedy, like mm-hmm. you said, and, and uh, you would... Um, <laughs> when you do that, you sound like Phil Hendry doing Bobby Dooley. <laughs> Going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, if you're into comedy, you're buying different, you know, my parents, the same thing. They mm-hmm. would have the Smothers Brothers and George Carlin. Sure. And then, you know, Let's Get Small by Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. I believe my dad and his girlfriend at the time, and then my mom and stepdad, I think they both bought it. Mm-hmm. So, like, there were, those influences would come in. Yeah. Uh, you know, depending on your parents, because sure. they they were it buying comedy albums, so I wasn't. Happens. Of course, at twelve, this would be a shitty podcast if I knew everything about comedy. Is, would it? Is my point. Yeah. Oh, you want to learn? It's super boring. Yeah. You want to learn? Half of my audience is people. I think. I think half of them are people who already own the albums. The other half are people who want to know something about comedy. Well, and while I'm not always the person to teach them, and I can be, there's you know my guests are always introducing me to new people, but you know. 
I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go from there. We're not interviewing me. God damn it! I wanted. To, I, I was. I was. <laughs> I'm fascinated, and it's good conversation. That way, your listeners know more about you, and they know you're a fraud. Yes, hundred percent. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, I want to Klein. You uh, you shut me down in the rudest email I've ever received in my life. Yeah. And uh, but actually, it was, and then so I then I went to Don Rickles. Yeah. Hello, dummy. Which I was fine with. And and again, because I was staying true to the vinyl. Mm-hmm. And then. It occurred to me that while Richard had never had anything on vinyl, if you would bend the rules and allow us to do the special, I'm in pain, mm-hmm. uh, that would really be my bag. Mm-hmm. Because it, as a starting out as a comedian, very influenced by Robert Klein and Richard Lewis, yeah. to a lesser extent Paul Reiser, uh, which, you know, uh, Richard Lewis claims that Reiser ripped him off at some point. Sure. And I don't buy it. And I, again, I'm the big. I was so influenced by Richard. He's mm-hmm. one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as is Robert Klein. As is um, uh, Rickles to a lesser extent. Although because of what I do, working with the audience, people Shh. brush. You know, I get painted with that. Of course, you're an insult comic. Mm, no. Not really. Uh-uh. Not really. I mean, you're just quick. I'm quick, and I'm in the moment, and I appreciate you saying that. And so, to, so I, I, I always like to describe myself more as Groucho mm-hmm. than. Uh, than Don, even though again Don Don's one of my heroes. Of course, Johnny Carson's one of my heroes, and Paul Reiser. Growing up, again, I I admired what he did, and I think he's great. I think he's a gentleman who has funny in the bones, as I do sure. Richard Lewis. So when Richard said that, I think Paul Reiser's ripping me off. As a guy that is a student of the craft, mm-hmm. I just don't see it. Right, right. I you know so uh, you know again. Although I've had guys rip me off, yeah. and then other people will go, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so. Yeah. I'm not going to speak. I'm, I'm not Richard Lewis. Maybe he feels that way. Uh, I don't see it. And um, but Richard, in, in, in when I when I was an open micer, mm-hmm. and I just talked about this on my podcast, it uh, I'm amazed having listened to the Robert Kleins again because of your show. I, I revisited them mm-hmm. and I actually just opened up for Robert at the Improv. Really, and uh, which I had done twenty years ago. Really? 1990, I opened for Robert Klein at Catch a Rising Star in Chicago. That's fantastic. Uh, he made, I want to say, $300,000 for the gig, uh-huh. and I made three hundred fifty. dollars <laughs> uh, He might have made 36000 whatever. I don't know what he made. It's not my business. I just know I made three fifty, and I bombed miserably. And he could not have been nicer to me, very gracious to me, mm-hmm. uh, complimented me on one of my bits. And then Richard Lewis, this, I think the same way in that I, I know early on, you know, I, I talk very fast. Sure. I talk off the top of my head. I deconstruct what I'm doing as a comedian. Yeah. And uh, to me, Richard was the first one to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I credit, as did Paul Prevenza on your show, Klein, and, and I'll get off Klein in a minute. That's I, fine. That's good. I, Influences are important. I credit him for the way we do stand-up comedy. He changed it, in my opinion. He went observational before anybody else. Sure. In a way that Carlin wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. In a way that the guys, you know, uh, you're, uh, you know, uh, and more, not Morty, well, Morty Amsterdam, that's not sure, who I wanted to say, Morty. but it was a good save. <laughs> Buddy Hackett, you know, Jackie Mason, you know, the ba-da-ding, ba-da-ding. Klein was looking at commercials and joking about it. Something that kind of became hackneyed in the late 80s. Sure. But he was doing it in 1974. Yeah. You know, my wife, I think I'll keep her. Great stuff. Brilliant stuff. Mm-hmm. Observational. You know, uh, some personal stuff about growing up so I credit Klein for that. Other people argue with me, and they're more than welcome to argue with me. Uh, 
And I credit Richard Lewis for that stream of consciousness. Well, you can sometimes just gauge that by listening or watching. If you hear the audience and it sounds like they've never heard that before, right? that means something. Well, that, now that said, though, you could watch, and I'm not going to throw any names out, but you could, <laughs> well, okay, you, you I could watch a uh, Hispanic act Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do something that Freddie Prinze did. Sure, you know. So, but the audience is responding like they've never heard it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's so, uh, so I am wrong. No, I don't. <laughs> that's, um, but I hear what you're saying. It's like when you hear those Robert Klein albums or this special that we just watched, mm -hmm. the uh, the in Pain, which I loved revisiting. So I was glad that you said cool because yeah. I love to look back at it, and it reminded me that. In '85, I was uh, uh, I was in my teens, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and was in the record business, managing record stores, and I was going to okay. the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and uh, apparently, I wanted to be a comedian. You know, it's like I don't I don't know that I, I knew that then. Okay. It, it, living in that moment, I didn't. But then watching this special again from '85, it was like, oh no, that's yes, of course, I wanted to be a comedian. Yeah. And it brought all those memories back. It brought all back of when I was when I snuck in to see Stephen Wright. When I snuck in to see Richard Lewis, uh, Jay Leno, Bobby Slayton, uh, guys in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I was underage, and I would go with a guy that was of a, of age, of course. And it wasn't as strict back then, of course, with the IDs and stuff. And they, I guess, they presumed if you waited in line for two hours to see Jay Leno, that you were no underage moron would wait that long. Right. so incredibly well here i gotta tell you i i just spent about a week with family and i am absolutely thrilled and delighted to be here in front of strangers you have no idea <laughs> can't believe it my, I, my yeah, well my mother she put a satellite dish up I said, gee, why don't you the sports night? I can't imagine discussing, like, the pennant race with it. But it was, believe me, it was like, it, it had to be like a Jewish satellite dish. It picked up problems from other families. It's like... <laughs> oh. I gotta breathe. I gotta learn how to breathe. I want to relax. I'm glad to be here. I had, uh, I have pressure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm walking to the club. I'm walking to this club. I've been here years. I love, it's unbelievable. I'm just trying to relax. I walk to the club, tippy-toe in to avoid any kind of anxiety. And uh, hey, what happens? A cop his car is like sort of driving down. There's a guy without his headlights on. So they have these like loud speakers. It's like, you know, Yankee Stadium on top of the car. And the, and the guy goes, so the cop goes, I get confused myself, but it was, I'm into the cop car now. The cop goes, uh, put on your headlights. So, oh, sure. The guy put it on, but he like went over a canyon. It was so counterproductive, you know? And I'm just walking. I'm just walking alone. The cop sees me, goes, stop blaming your childhood. He's like, oh, you know, kind of like, uh, going in, so it was funny to, to watch, to, to know that I did all that, and then when somebody says, well, when did you want to be a comedian? It's like, well, I don't know. Well, apparently I knew. <laughs> of course. And this special, and this speaks to what you said, the Robert, uh, the Richard Lewis, that audience is responding. Yeah. They never seen anything like it. 100%. They never saw anybody deconstruct what they just said. Mm-hmm. And to watch, there's one guy specifically in the audience who... Uh, just is tickled by everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's a great... And Go ahead. Question. 
I'm talking too much. No, you're saying this is oh, how it goes. Keep uh, talking. So I, I, uh, so I, I get basically. I'm saying thank you for letting me, uh, for making me revisit that special. Thank you for making me watch it. Uh, isn't it great? Yeah, it is great. I mean, I, there's there's a thing I have to do sometimes if I'm watching something I didn't grow up with. Uh, to avoid the feeling, oh, I've seen this before, or oh, this is hackneyed. You have to put your mind in a particular place. You do. Because when I listen to the Smothers Brothers, I'm like, I know I've heard this before, but I'm like, I know that audience hasn't. So if you ha if you put yourself in that place, so by doing that, by watching this, I'm like, oh yeah, this is this, that's why it feels fresh. I could tell why it felt fresh, and I, you know, I wa I probably watched stand up as a kid with my parents on TV, mm -hmm. and uh, that was the first thing that because when I when I'm listening to something and I'm I don't always compare it with the person who's coming on the show to talk about it, but that the speed was definitely the first thing that popped into my head. Just the, but I couldn't tell, and I still can't tell how much of that. Like, what of it is scripted? What of it is just a layout? What of it? I have no idea. I would think, and, I, and again, I don't know either. Sure. You know, he's a man that brings, you know, that scroll of notes on the piano. Yes. And I think he's got, and obviously if you watch more than one show of Richard's, you know, he does the same joke. Mm -hmm. um, but if he flubs a word, he's going to talk about it, you mm -hmm. know, in the way that I do it, or Andy Kindler does it, Todd sure. Glass does it, uh, of the modern day guys. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, I guess again, in watching this special from '85, just realize you know how influential he was on my career. Mm -hmm. In in in, you know, I think we all wanted to be Seinfeld. Sure. You know, we all wanted to be the guy that was you know you know in the sport coat with the sleeves rolled up and the skinny tie and mm -hmm. you know talking about our day. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, I'm sure if I pulled out videotapes of my first three years in comedy, there's got to be shows where you would go, well, you're you're doing a Richard Lewis impression, you know? Uh, I know it wasn't as an open micer, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I can specifically remember a time I was working in Maryville, Indiana, and my mom and stepfather were there, and my mom actually said, uh, a little too Richard Lewis-y, that show. <laughs> and she was, and, she, and I, I, of course, got defensive, but I, but she was right. That's awesome. She was right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, to answer your question, and again, I don't know the answer. Yeah. How much is improvised? I would say a lot of it, but I would imagine not like what I do or, or Todd Glass. The structure's there, mm -hmm. and you just play around as long as you hit those beats. You so know, you care more about beats than word choice. Is that Am I getting that correct? Or, or are you a big word choice person, too? I'm a word choice guy. Um, I'm a specifics guy. Okay. If I, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, and and this is the obvious, and I, I, I would hope every comedian would do this. You're not going to say you look like a guy that plays keyboards in an '80s band. You want to go? You look like the guy that, in Night Ranger. Yes, right. You know, um, and luckily, that's a bad example because who the fuck wouldn't do that? <laughs> um, but but you know my point. I do. Like you want. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a I'm a word I'm a word choice guy. Um, but you know, I don't write. I'm not, I don't write jokes. Okay. I, I I work everything out on stage. Okay. But um, you do then pick something that feels right, and then you play with it. Absolutely. Okay. And then I play. Yeah, which I'm guessing Richard does, and you know, I know Louis C.K. does do it. I am no way am I comparing myself to Louis sure. C.K. or Bill Burr. You are wearing a black T-shirt. I should point that. Oh, I am. I'm ripping him off now. <laughs> uh, but. You know, those guys do the same thing where, you know, they work out the bit on stage, and mm -hmm. I think that's the way to do it. You know, there's other guys that don't. Jerry, there's, Jerry doesn't at all. Jerry... I don't understand that. I don't get how he... Do. I mean, again, I'm not a stand-up, so I don't understand most of it, but I do improv, so I don't understand 
strictly bidding something out ahead right. of time, you know. And just tightening those screws and mm-hmm. working it out on paper. It's like, how do you... And I'm sure Jerry will do a joke and, you know, uh, you know, uh, oh, flypaper didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. sits down the next day, what was what, instead of flypaper? Yeah. You know, which we all do. Like, I, you know, I'll do, but I'll do it on stage. Or I'll... In what I do, and this, and what, what again, what I think is the influence from Richard Lewis is if I'm, again, flypaper, you know, it's like, you know, blah, 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 flypaper. That I will comment on, oh, bad work choice, bad choice. Flypaper uh, might have been, have been a bad choice. Blah, blah, probably was the right choice. You know, and then, oh, there we go. Now, you could be that guy that then makes that new choice. Sure. Or maybe you make that mistake every single of show. Course, of course. And then, oh, isn't that brilliant improvisation? And I was trying to figure that out, too. And I, I wish I had written down examples, but there are a couple spots in the album. With Richard. Special, yes. I really felt like he was doing that. Well, that's clearly, no, he's done that mistake before. There's a, I, I agree with you, mm-hmm. but... Uh, and again, I, I, I apologize for making this about me. It's, I, I always, I say what I do, like when people say I'm going to come to both shows, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. just come to the one. <laughs> it's a it's a magic trick. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because yes, I do improvise a lot during my show. Yeah. But there's other ones that aren't. You know what I mean? That it's like, oh, so he always yells at the guy that wears flip-flops. <laughs> you know, shower shoes is a... That's a joke he does on a regular basis. You know what I mean? Uh, and if they see it once, they're like, I was in the audience when he made fun of the guy with the shower shoes. Where it's like, I was at all four shows. What a coincidence. Four guys had a good shower shoes. So, uh, and I, th- I think it's the same with Richard. It's yeah. like, I think that there's some that's, uh, at least on this special in 85, mm-hmm. because some of it seemed really organic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I, uh, what I loved about it, I'm, I'm curious what you thought. Mm-hmm. In 2014, if somebody's doing a special, it's in a theater. Yeah, there's two thousand people minimum. Right. This was at the Improv on Melrose. I know. I know. And I had forgotten that, mm-hmm. Jason. I because I, I have not done. I've only done a half hour on Comedy Central. You know, mm-hmm. uh, twelve years ago, uh, which I'm sure you can download and not enjoy. Um, <laughs> I'm so much different today. How uh, was the flip flops bit back then? That's uh, very strong. I may have used sandals back then. <laughs> um, it. I always said if I ever did a special, I would actually want it to be in a club and probably shot in black and white. Now, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I like it. Um, But then when this comes out, it's please please welcome Richard Lewis, and and he walks out, it's the the improv. Yeah. Of course it's the improv. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the the, the laughs stop a foot above his head, <laughs> right, and right. the and the audience is right there. I don't understand comedy in a in a, in a huge venue. I I, yeah. I didn't understand it when when Steve Martin did it. And he didn't either, for that matter. Yeah. When Dice did it, when Dane did it, mm-hmm. and uh, those it's too big. When you have to wait for the delay from a speaker system or right? see him on a screen, while I get the idea that it's a big event, I don't like. If somebody was play, has anybody ever done comedy at the Staples Center? Because that idea of like. Freaks me out. Uh, what's it? Uh, Kevin Hart. Okay. Kevin yeah, Hart see, sold out, I think, three of course, nights. Of course he did. But, like, like that place is intimidating and scary, and you feel like you should be there for a gladiator match rather than comedy. Then, a, then a, and, 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 and I'm not saying I'm five foot four. Mm-hmm. Kevin Hart is five two. Yeah. So, little tiny, little yeah, tiny 100%. Kevin Hart yeah. at the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're, again, you're supposed to be seeing gladiators or, you know, six foot seven basketball players. Uh-huh. And there's a guy, and what's he doing? He's talking. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's bananas to me. Yeah, and the personal—I I do like how personal this feels, even though it feels big, like you say, because of the laughs. It kind of feels like a big room. Yes. But again, obviously, it's very personal. Yeah. Um, 
Do you? Okay, so here, there's something that's also interesting to me as an incredibly neurotic person as I am. Watching something like this, I'm also incredibly uncomfortable the whole time. Yes. Because it's see, it's genuine. Yeah, I can hundred percent. If you ask me, does he have problems that are legit? Yes, he does. Obviously, because the comedy comes from somewhere. But there's some stuff he's intentionally not working on so that he can be really funny. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. You know, and I, I get really uncomfortable watching it. I love it. It's really funny. It's but. and you should you should go and then watch uh, you know I'm doomed, which I think is the third one. Okay. And uh, I'm exhausted, which okay. is the second one. And if I got those in the wrong order, I apologize. Doesn't matter. Uh, Equally brilliant. You know, I think one was 88 and then the other one might be 90, mm-hmm. which is, you know, three solid hours within five years, yeah. which is, you know, amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, in my opinion, and again, that's before, you know, uh, I mean, Carlin always was doing a new hour every year. Louis does one. But, you know, to me, that's a that's a lot of material Yeah, in three, in five years. Um, but I would say over the years, and Richard was kind enough to do my podcast and, uh, you know he's approaching seventy, mm-hmm. and he's a uh, god. That's weird. Isn't that weird? That's really weird. And you know, so what was eighty five? How many years ago was that? Thirty five years ago? Uh-huh. Thirty years. Thirty ago. years ago. Yeah. Thirty years ago. Uh huh. So what was he? Thirty eight at the time? Is he sixty eight now? Sounds right. Boy, he looked great for thirty eight. Uh huh. Let's yeah. say that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the ill fitting shirt. <laughs> the uh, you know the eighties pants. The hair, which he, uh, you know, has to this day, constantly touching too. He's just always just, just nervous. Oh, and I, again, don't know how much of it's how act. much is an act, right? How much is put on? How much is affected? When I had hair, I'll tell you, I did that kind of shit all the time. You know what's funny? I worked with a uh, uh, Diana Jordan out in Claremont. I apologize, Montclair, California. Okay. At I uh, oh got I can remember the guy's name. Adam Berenson owned it. Can't remember the name. Last stop, maybe. And I had just moved to L.A., I was 95, and I was opening for Diana Jordan. And I kept talking about how I'm losing my hair. And uh, and she goes, well, maybe if you stop pushing it back every 12 seconds, <laughs> you know, you it, you would keep some of it. And it was like, same deal. It was like yeah. all, you know, that neurotic nonsense, yeah. which, you know, I think is, and you do improv, I think, in comedy, you have to have some neuroses. Oh, God. Did you just, I'm sorry, did I, did I, I spit, didn't I, in your... You sure? You swear? I saw the little the Jarby come over there. You're in the spit lane, let's, let's face it, you know? Because <laughs> I, I do, you know, I was in Vegas once about, uh, got about five years ago, and Wayne Newton was there, and uh, it was unbelievable. He's, I mean, my spit was sort of like a, sort of like a little wimpo job, you know, just sort of, he was like, what a dynamo. I mean, I, you know, I actually dug it. It was like an amazing thing to see, but he was like, he was blowing people away. It was like, it was like a Sam Peckinpah. Oh, my God, I've just killed your husband. What should I do? He's so rich. Give him a pony. Give him a pony. Table three. Give him a pony. <laughs> I was, I was literally, I was, I was trying to get in the way. It was, it was a nadir. If that's, I know it's a low point, right? Why I have to give you two words for one? It's frightening. But I was literally trying to get in the way of his spirit. It was really was a, a low point for my life. And he just, because he was giving, he was giving things away. He was giving things away, and he nicked me. He just nicked me. I got like a toaster oven or something. You know? uh, I'm sorry. It, it, Right? Did you identify with it, though, too? Was that something that was pulling you in, or was it just, this guy's super funny? Boy, that's a great question. Because I, I can, I don't, I don't know, obviously, I don't think that's important for stand-up as much. I, not identifying with the personality of the person, necessarily. Even I I identify with the personality of the things they're saying sometimes, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. That's why I like Carlin so much, because I, I wasn't Carlin. I was nothing like Carlin. I definitely wasn't like later Carlin, but I still like some later Carlin. 
So I didn't identify with him. That letter curl was a little rough. Oh, of course. It's a little rough. Oh, yeah. That was hard for me. Yeah. Especially when I grew up first listening to Hippie Carlin. I'm like, oh, that's what this guy is. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is what the other people my age are listening to. Where do you think it turned? Uh, it was, well, I mean, Dan Pasternak and I were talking about it the other day, and it was, it was shortly after uh, A Place for My Stuff. That was what I, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah it was a, a kid from New York City. What's the name of that album? Oh, son of a bitch. Something like that. Mm-hmm. That was the one where it's like, oh, George has changed a bit. Yeah, you know, and, 100%. And by the way, that's okay. Oh, he turned sixty. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, uh, you know, uh, he's got different passions and different angers. That's yeah. not a phrase, but um, <laughs> he almost died several times. And right, should happen. So maybe he could. Yeah, uh-huh. maybe you hit him some slack if he wants to. You know, dig him up. <laughs> the golf courses, dig him up. Um, I was going to say something about. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry, I got us completely off track. No, I was going to say, a place for it, it, a place for myself was what, 82 maybe? I think it was 80, shit, we were just talking about it on a couple episodes ago, 80, yeah. I think I was right. still in high school. Okay, yeah, so it had to be 80 or 82 around there. I think so. Mm-hmm. It was that album, Rodney Dangerfield's No Respect, uh-huh. and um, ah, there was the third one. That I would be, I wrote, I wrote every joke out. Really? And I would, uh, uh, I, I never, I never tried to pretend they were my own. For sure. I would go, you know, I go, oh, this is this album, you know, give me a number. You know, 19, 19, you know, uh, uh, I said to the guy, uh, hey, I got your check. He said, thanks. You know, the danger feels great. Like, I would just <laughs> read the amazing. joke. And, um, <laughs> holy shit. It, yeah, it, it was, uh, Carlin, and, and Dangerfield. Uh, Steve Martin was long before that when I went through that phase. And there was a third one, okay. at any rate. You uh, wrote them all out. Wrote them all out? That's amazing. Because, you know, I mean, well, I also remember it's the early 80s mm-hmm. where there's not the internet. Yeah. There's not, there's three channels on TV. Mm-hmm. So if you're, a, if, you, and you, if you have the money to buy, $7 to buy an album, mm-hmm. you're living with that album. 100%. You know what I mean? You're playing it, you know, from, you listen to your parents. Sure. You're, you know, so it's like, what, I've listened to it over and over and over. What's the next step? Well, I got I got to write it down. Of course you do. You know what I mean? Course, I'm, yes. I, if I'm nerding out on this thing, you know, like if I'm if I'm a, I was a fan of Kiss, uh-huh. I drew pictures of Kiss. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I practiced their autographs. I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I so fucking good. Whatever the hell I did, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that, so that was the same with the comedy albums. It's right. like, well, what, what 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 can you do? I I'm I'm not I can't perform this. Right. I'll write it all down. <laughs> Holy crap! I don't know why. That's amazing, though. I, they're, they're, I, I don't know that all comedians are like that, but I'm finding more and more that there are people who have that kind of, and I don't have a good word for it, but that archival sensibility where they just they want to be fully involved in this thing as much as possible. Whereas if, if you could have gone, and I don't know why this doesn't exist, if you could have gone to a museum of comedy, just like how much shit you would have just eaten up. Just oh, it like, would have been amazing. You know, like, but you're making it for yourself because you're like, well, like you said, what else am I going to do? I'll write it down next. It's like, that was it. That's yeah. all that was left. Mm-hmm. You know, I might have even traced the album covers, sure. you know, which is a ridiculous thing That's to awesome. do. Who needs to do a, a, you know, a sketch of Rodney Dangerfield? Uh, but uh, those that you know, and it's my mom and my dad that influenced it. But to, mm-hmm. to go back to your question of did I relate to the material? I don't know if I related to the material. I, I don't think I was neurotic back then. Mm-hmm. I think as I got older, I got more neurotic. Sure. That said, I'm sure if a doctor, you, well, you know, he'll uh, debate that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm sure that somebody would go, "No, you were nuts." <laughs> um, 
you know, we go into comedy for that reason. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody that had it good in high school goes into comedy. Right. No. There's no reason for it. Right? There's no reason it's, it's for it. It's either a defense mechanism, which is the typical thing, or it's, again, a number, an amazing escape for you, because that's yeah, that's so good to me. I, uh, I, I, some, I've never done exactly that, but I completely relate to it. I, I, uh, did, so, I mean, but then that, what that does is, like, you didn't know you wanted to do, did you know you wanted to do comedy of some kind? You were in theater school, right? So was comedy of interest to you as a performer? It, I guess it was. Okay. Um, we found a... My mom just uh, about three years ago she moved. Uh, she actually moved from Chicago out here, really, uh, about a mile from me, so she could uh, be with me and be with awesome. my son, and uh, be a great grandma. Mm-hmm. And we were—I was cleaning up my, you know, cleaning out my old bedroom, mm-hmm. which stuff was still there. You know, I've been gone for twenty-something years, but stuff was still there. And so I was like, "Well, what do we keep? What do we not?" And then one of the things we found was um, a drawing that I did, like in eighth grade, and it was of a brick wall. But it can't be the improv. There's uh-huh. no way it could have been the improv. Okay. Uh, maybe it wasn't a brick wall. Well, a wall. A wall, okay. A wall, probably a curtain. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, brick wall seems way too... Uh, I can't... Uh, uh, prescient? Is that the word? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Well, then I'm proud of myself because be. I have a horrible vocabulary. <laughs> Fly paper, Night Ranger. Um, <laughs> it was a picture. It was a drawing, a sketch... Of a spotlight hitting a microphone in a stand, and then a curtain. That's awesome. So one could argue, well, you wanted to be a singer, you wanted to be a crooner. Right. I don't think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I, my mom doesn't either. She's like, oh no, you see, you always want to be a comedian. Mm-hmm. So, and then I, I went. I recently went to a uh, a grade school reunion, mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where you want to come back is like. You know, I work on Cone and you mother effers, I'm this, I'm that. And everybody's like, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course that's what you did. Yeah, I, And I hadn't seen those people since 1980. So it was like I come walking in, it's like, you know, oh, wait till they get a load of what I do now. You know, and it was like, well, yeah, what else would you be doing? Yeah, you were the funniest guy in school. Of course, of course yeah, of course you're working at Conan. Of course you're in comedy. And uh, so it, I guess, yeah, it was always there. Answer that's your awesome. question in a long. But that's—I mean—I don't know. Some people, if I ask that question, they—you know—it's it, obviously it ranges. Some people have that experience, and some people. But again, you didn't know necessarily. You had it. You wanted it, but didn't know, know you wanted it. When did you first start doing um, open mics? And stuff? I did my very first one right after I turned twenty-one. Okay. Um, and I turned twenty-one in July of nineteen, and then. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing this thing now where I'm saying I'm a lot younger than I am uh-huh. because nobody believes I'm as old as I am. Sure. So I, yeah. uh, I'm i lying that's to fine. you. I think that's fine. But it was a, I, I turned 21 in 87. Mm-hmm. So I started, uh, my first open mic was like in August of 87 okay. in Maryville, Indiana, again. And I went up, thought I had 30 minutes, ended up being about seven. <laughs> and uh, fast, and I, but I killed. I remember I killed. Awesome. And did a lot of stupid stuff. A lot of it took some challenges, took some risks. Uh, then I went back. That was on a Sunday night. They, uh, open mics were there every every Sunday and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I went back on Wednesday, bombed like you wouldn't believe. Went back on Sunday, bombed. Went, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And then did a bunch of community theater. And then in '88, um, my friends. Uh, my friend Keith, who I worked with at the record store, joined an improv group, a sketch group. Okay. We all went to Players Workshop of Second City at one point. Oh, okay. And uh, which was an offshoot of Second City. Um, 
which might have been the one that Bill Murray actually studied at. I'm not 100% really? sure on that. Okay. Um, but we both went to the... Oddly enough, we both he and I both signed up for classes separately. Keith was the manager. I was the assistant manager. And he ended up going joining this sketch group called Department of Works. Uh-huh. And they needed someone to open for them. And I had done some comedy, and they said, sure. will you open? So I did it. Probably didn't go well. <laughs> but I met a guy named Tony Boswell who was in that sketch group. And he goes, you know, I really want to do stand-up more than I do sketch. Because, and so we kind of became these two guys that, like, we, we were a support system. Oh, that's awesome. We would go to open mics together. And so from there on, we just would go to every as many open mics as we could in Chicago, as many stages as we could on a night. And then March of 89 is when I got my first paid gig. And then in July of 89, I quit my day job. That's awesome. So I've been doing it full-time for 25 years. That's insane. Yeah. It, it seems like was, you brought up something that I wasn't sure was going to come back up again, and, and that's like that support system is so important. It's, I mean, it seems like a, probably a good reason you went into, into uh, you know community theater. It's easier to bomb with a bunch of people around you yes. on your own. Yes, Right. And at least if you've got somebody waiting in the wings, it feels like there's somebody on stage with you. Exactly. That's, that's it, awesome. It's, um, and so when I met Tony... And we're still friends to this day. We're still in the same fantasy baseball league together, and mm-hmm. he lives on the East Coast. And I can't tell you where because I, you know, I'm a narcissistic, narcissistic asshole who, you know, if I ask him, "Hey, you know, where do you live?" One more time, it's really gonna look like I'm an <laughs> idiot. So, uh, uh, you know, we started in Chicago, but, but I, without Tony, it would have been, you know, we would go and we would bomb together, we would kill together. You know, we ended up making other friends. You sure. know, who I'm friends with to this day: Jimmy Dore, Mike Siegel, Pete Schwaba, Pat Francis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Gilmartin, uh, some other you know other people that I met throughout the years, but those were the core guys. And but it was me and Tony, and we would talk every day. I was still working at MCA Records, and I would uh, I would go into my office, and I'm supposed to be making calls to my clients about, hey, do you want to buy the new Little River Band album? <laughs> and uh, hey, we're you know we're shipping the Fine Young Cannibals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Supposed to be doing that. Instead, I was on the phone all day with Tony, you know, talking about what booker we're going to contact, oh, this and that, it. where are we going tonight. Hey, let's hit this one first, then go there. By the way, it was the same conversation every day. That's amazing. For hours. <laughs> and uh, But we had each other. And and, yeah. and without that, uh, and by the way, I don't, know, I don't know if I ever admitted it to him or myself until this very moment. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it would have been that easy. It wasn't easy. Sure. But it was still like I knew, because going to an open mic for the first time, is really, really scary. Yeah. You know, and people yeah. always ask me all the time, you know, I always wanted to get a comedy, what do I do? It's like, you just got to do it. 100%, yeah. You know, and, and people, you know, and I and I, I know, I think Prevenzi even talked about this on your show and other, other comics, Lori yeah. Kilmartin just posted it on Twitter. She mm-hmm. said, you know, my advice that always disappoints people is just do it. Yeah, yeah. And that's the truth. Like, they, they everybody thinks there's, you know, if you want to take a class, take a class. Sure. I'm not an anti-class guy. Uh-huh. Uh, remember when I said I wasn't going to talk as much as Paul mm-hmm. Prevenzi? Yeah, I do. I'm glad you are. I apologize. It's good. No, it's it's. Um, it's not that much to say. If you, I, I, I don't know if I'm steamrolling or not. No. If I am, I apologize. I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. I literally don't have that much. To well, say. then by all means, start listening. a podcast. <laughs> um, if you need a class to take to get your nerves up, mm-hmm. take it. In my opinion, I, a lot of comics are down on classes. Yeah. I don't think you can teach funny ever, ever, right. ever. You either have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. You could teach. Formula, sure. you could teach joke writing, but no. You can't teach what Richard Lewis does. I've been all over, and it's just really, uh, God, it's really amazing to me. You know, comedy is really, uh, all of a sudden I'm doing a lecture at Hunter College. I don't know what happened to me. Oh, I know why. I know why I was doing that. 
I was doing this gig up in Maine about a month ago, and I got freaked out because, you know, some gigs are a nightmare. Some gigs are ni uh, gigs from hell. And I walked up in the afternoon, I see my sign, and it had, it was off near Maine. It was near Maine. And had tonight, Richard Lewis and King Crab. I went, ah, King Crab? I was on the bill with, with King Crab. I said, maybe it's like some kind of rock group. I saw maybe guys, you know, saxophone guys coming out. But that was it. I was on with the entree. That was the whole uh, trip. And I walk into the club and the people go, hi, uh, do we get to the waitress? Do we get the French fries with the comic or not? We're not sure, you know. <laughs> I'm doing my gig, not doing well. It was a nightmare, quite frankly. There's about 30 people there in the middle of my act. It's right on the inlet or a sand with a bay. Who cares at this point? I hate the place. But uh, a guy runs in from the back of the club wearing like a yellow raincoat, a slicker, whatever. And he screams out, the tuna is biting. And the entire audience just goes... You know, to get back to the man that brought us to this conversation, mm -hmm. you can't teach. Can you teach what Seinfeld does? Maybe. He won't be as good as him, but you could certainly go, you know, what don't I like? I don't like when I lose a sock. <laughs> you know, what happened to the other sock? You know, and then you tighten those screws. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, you, I think you've you got to have it in your bones. you got to have the, the right mind for it. But if you need that class to get the nerve to do it, take the class. I see, yeah. Otherwise, you just got to do it. And man, it is, especially when you're brand new and, and you go to the open mic and you don't know if the other guys, if it's, it could be somebody else's first time, could mm -hmm. be somebody else doing it for nine years working on new material. Yeah. It could, they all certainly know each other. At least these five guys know each other. And you're the outsider sitting there by yourself, hoping somebody talks to you. Yeah. Then when they do talk to you, you want to be funny so that they know you're funny. And then of course that never works. You're not because you're forced and it's awful. And they think, <laughs> why is that guy on? Uh-huh. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's rough. So without Tony, it would have been, uh, well, at least we had each other to push each other and, uh, you know, at least, hey, I'll see you there. Right. I know you're going to be there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it made it more comfortable. And then, obviously, you know, I'm great. So I made friends. Of course. Yesterday. Of course. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, I think people get disappointed with that answer uh, because, well, sh show business seems magical to people for one. But for right. two, there's, if they've just, if they've seen you five times and they like you every time they've seen you, they think you're worthy of asking this, this question. I think the concept of it was that you hopped into it for successful immediately. That's always the concept, whether they realize it or not. It's right. Like, you know, you've been good the whole time. You've been successful the whole time. I mean, obviously, you did get to quit your day, day job 25 years ago. That's fucking great. You are a good guy to ask. But the assumption is that you've got a magical formula. Right. And it's so hard. But by the way, let's be very clear. I should not have quit my day job. <laughs> you know, I was making $100,000 mm -hmm. as a 20 three-year-old Jesus Christ working for a record company uh-huh you know what I mean I, it probably was 60,000 plus bonuses but, but whatever that's still an insane amount of money especially in, in the 80s mm -hmm. right that was, was great so when I walked away from that and to do comedy first of all my boss I wasn't doing my job and my boss said uh he called me and a guy named Jim who's a good guy it looked like uh uh Kirk from Dear John uh specifically <laughs> that character that Jerry Burns did uh, uh, so much so that, like, you know, it was back in the day where, like, everybody watched whatever was on television. Mm -hmm. So when we came in the next day, it's like, did you see Dirt John last night? This, this new show? Like, it's Jim! Like, <laughs> like, Jim's on that show. So he called me in his office and he's like, uh, look, it's obvious you're not doing your job. Mm -hmm. You know, so you you have to make a decision. You want to keep doing, you want to keep working here, which it, that was the brass ring for me. Sure. I'm, I'm working, I'm working at a record company. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hanging out with rock stars. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, 
I'm going to concerts for free. I'm getting music for free. And music is your other love. That is my other love, yeah. So he goes, or do you want to be a comic? And by the way, they had all just seen me perform. <laughs> and I had bombed miserably. Oh, they all were there. So so he goes, or do you want, to, uh, you want to be a comedian? You have to decide. And I was like, okay, I'll tell you tomorrow. Which was like, he couldn't believe that I was even taking a day uh-huh. to tell him, well, of course, I'm going to stay here with my job. Mm-hmm. So the next day I came in and I quit. And I said, I'm giving my notice. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. All right, very good. And then at the meeting, uh, at our morning meeting, he said, uh, okay, well, first things first, uh, Jim let me know this morning that he's uh, uh, quitting. He's going to pursue stand-up comedy. And the silence in the room was <laughs> deafening. It was crazy about how they all, I mean, and they weren't wrong. They had to be thinking, what the fuck is he? He's horrible. He's horrible. We were there. Twelve of us came to support him, and he didn't get a laugh. I mean, it was it was one of those, like, when I came back to the office, nobody talked about it. Yeah. No eye contact for a day. Like, <laughs> like maybe we'll all forget it happened. Yeah. It was at a place called the Barn of Barrington, and, and, and I, oh, and I bombed miserably. And so, but then I quit, and but I shouldn't have. I should have stayed at that job, done my job better, uh-huh. and then still hit the open mics. Sure. And, and gotten better before, but... You're more resilient that young, though. At the very least. Had you been twice that age and quit, first of all, it would have looked a lot sadder to see. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? I mean, and, you know, any wife worth her salt would have divorced you. you oh, know, of course. You know, so at least in the, in your, it, it's, it's a better time, I suppose. But I, I understand guess what so. you're saying. I, do I was also saying. very young at that job. I was 23 uh-huh. years old That's working insane. in the record business. Uh-huh. And I had, like, I, I got brought in to do a job that I wasn't necessarily even qualified for. Uh-huh. So people that were like, had started in the mail room and were working their way up were resentful of me. So like, it was, it was a, that was a tough job. So yeah. like comedy was a great outlet mm-hmm. for me to, you know, uh, you know, instead of eating my emotions, I was working about doing comedy, yeah. you know, as opposed to dealing with, uh, Hey, nobody here likes me, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. not, that's not fair, but I know you say some did not. What were you, what kind of comedy were you taking in? Was it just the stuff that you saw at clubs, or were you buying albums and stuff? Oh, I was still buying albums. I was still, I was trying to be, but then I realized, though, and this kind of contradicts what I was saying about remembering that I was lettuce for a hairpiece. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It dawned on me, that, like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm absorbing too much of that. Okay. I have to not do that. Okay. I have to be true to who I am. Uh, but what I ended up doing, I was a great open micer. And I, and I speak on this a lot whenever I, I get interviewed and I run my mouth. I was a great open micer. And people loved watching me as an open micer. I, I was very experimental. Everything off the top of my head. Yeah. Everything uh, improvisational. Wasn't all good. Sure. But at least I was taking chances. Yeah. Then I, the second I started getting paid, I was like, well, now I have to take this very seriously. Well, sure, of course. And I then started writing an act. And as I like to say, I worked very, very hard to be an average comedian. Okay, yeah. Not even probably not even average. I wasn't good, mm-hmm. but I, w- I was derivative of Seinfeld. Uh-huh. I was derivative of Paul Reiser. Again, probably the Klein influence, the Lewis influence, mm-hmm. all of that. I wasn't me. I was me as an open micer. Yeah. Once I started getting paid, I was like comedian one hundred and one. You know. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I would listen to these albums, and I realized, oh, I'm not being me anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of just being a comedian. And then enough people told me, you know, you're the funniest guy off stage. Uh, contrary to this blowhardedness I'm doing today, uh, you know, once you find that on stage, you're going to be great. And I and I was uh, like, 
But I know what I'm doing on stage. Of course. I'm, a, I'm getting paid. I quit my day job. Of course. How dare you say I'm not me? And then eventually it clicked. In 90, uh, it was uh, 92 and 93. It clicked. Somebody said it the right way. Yeah. And it was I was at the uh, the Broad Ripple Comedy Club in Indianapolis, uh-huh. and the week went the 29th, 30th, 31st of December. Mm-hmm. We were off on the first, and then I think we came back on that Saturday, the second, mm-hmm. or what, something like that. Sure. I threw the act away. Jeez. In '92, I just was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to what I did as an open micer. I'm going to improvise on stage. I'm going to make it up as I go. Yeah. I'll find the funny or I won't find the funny. And I struggled for a while doing that. I had great shows mm-hmm. or I had horrible shows. Um, and I know I became angry. I became a little Dennis Leary-ish. Uh-huh. You know, I got two words for you. Fuck you. You know, that kind of uh-huh. bullshit, trying to find the funny, having the anger. Bill Hicks was an influence at the time. Uh, not at all, at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, in the early 90s, Bill was doing something nobody else was. Of course. Um, except for Dennis Leary. Except for Dennis Leary, who was doing... Uh, but I like Dennis Leary stuff, too. I, I like, do, too. You know, it, it's just, it's an easy joke. It is an easy I'm joke. Sorry. And I and are there way too many similarities? Yes. Yep. But Dennis delivered them differently than mm-hmm. Bill. Mm-hmm. I liked a lot of what Dennis was doing. I loved that. When I found Bill Hicks Dangerous uh-huh. on cassette, uh-huh. I remember quoting it to Paul Gilmartin on a golf course. We were golfing. And I go, have you heard Bill Hicks yet? And he's like, uh, no, I'm not. And I started quoting the thing about, uh, I, 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 I remember, you know, Dick Clark, you know, fucking the skull of Dick Clark or something <laughs> like that. And on the golf course, and he kept on going, you're a little loud, a little loud. You're being a little loud. And... Uh, that, not that I discovered Hicks, he had a cassette out. Of course. But it was like, then the next day, Bill Hicks was just like the hero to all comedians. Yeah. Um, and he was still great. But I, you know, my interests changed. Sure. And, um, uh, but I still, obviously I still was buying, to answer your question, yeah, mm-hmm. I bought the Bill Hicks cassette. Yeah. I bought Robert Schimmel's mm-hmm. uh, first album on, on cassette, uh-huh. which is... Uh, I'm not. I, I'm not a huge fan of dirty material. I'll swear. Of course. Do a jerk off joke. Mm-hmm. You know. I'll. Uh, you know. I'll make jokes about you know having a threesome with a with a couple or whether you know men, women, whatever the shit it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but Schimmel, one could argue, is a dirty comedian. Uh-huh. But that hour is brilliant. You want to talk about words, mm-hmm. word choices. You know, uh, structure uh, structurally it, that that is a brilliant hour of comedy. That first album is that I can't think of the name of. Okay, new car. I have to look it up. All right. Uh, I remember I gave it to my stepfather, and I said, you know, I go, this is my new this this guy is my new favorite guy, mm-hmm. and I gave it to him, and I said, Did you listen to that cassette, Ron? And he goes, a little dirtier than I anticipated, <laughs> but there's great jokes on there. Yeah, you know. Um, He's great, yeah. So he's dead now, of course. God rest his soul. But he was, uh, he was a great comic. My family, I just, uh, my mom, I, I sort of love her, but she had things don't change. I go back to a house. It's wild to me. She has this cleanliness thing that I have now. Unfortunately, I just, uh, she, the dog before it killed itself, she made this dog wipe its paws off before it came to the house. Just to me, it's sad. The dog got so nuts, it developed like a little nervous cough before it barked. It was sad. It was sad to see it. The dog used to go. <coughs> I, I hate to see it. So I get to her house and she's vacuuming the front lawn. I don't, I don't understand it. How does she have a Hoover with a garden attachment? Where does she find this thing? And everything smells. We have, everyone smells. Why not? She has, I once bought her Airwick earrings. So every room, every place she went was cool, you know? 
She had a cottage cheese problem. I tried to, well, she had to smell cottage cheese in the stores. I could see if you're home alone, okay? You smell. But she went right to that dairy case. Mm, it's like, uh, but she was a very big, she was a big shot, quite frankly. She, everyone knew because she knew. She, you know, and I really respected for this because she knew when they were jerking us around. Because in that dairy case, they put the crap up front. You have to make a complete fool of yourself because, you know, you open, like, you open the case and the conscience has, like, on the bottom, like, hello from Ike, you know, on the front there, you know? You have to get, like, the guy from the Atomic Energy Commission with isotope. Oh, I'm going to get what I deserve, you bastards. You can't. It's impossible. So, you, so she knew that, but she was, you know, she made a, a fool of herself there. I mean, I, she would smell everybody's conscience and said, no, no, don't get this one. Go, you know, go, go back further. She had pictures, like, on Safeway stores with, like, like this and like this, like FBI thinking. Do you have a favorite bit on the Richard Lewis album? I mean, is there, or is it just as a whole? I keep calling it an album, I'm sorry. But at, on a whole, do you just like it? What What is it about it that you love so much? I think it, again, it's, a, I, I think it's the fact that it, it's this magic trick that he, it looks like he's coming up uh, up with it off the top of his head. Mm -hmm. You know, which everybody thinks comics are doing anyway. Of, of course. You know, uh, but I think, again, going back to what we said, I think Richard was. Some of it yeah. Uh, which, by the way, again, if you think about it, he's shooting a special. Mm -hmm. And if he did improvise a lot of that, that's ballsy on a of special. Course. Of course. It of course, is. it was Showtime in 85, so, uh, yeah, you know, who's watching? <laughs> right, right. But at the same time, I would have done a dance around the world. I'll do one tomorrow if they want to give me a special. Mm -hmm. But um, do I have a favorite bit? I, you know, uh, uh, the satellite dish getting, you know, problems from other people's families. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh, again, I'm badly mutilating these bits. Um, uh, that's the other thing too they're not easy to do for somebody else no they're not because they're all him and I'm there I'm there you know and, uh, I go. Uh, oh when he does the thing about the dry cleaner I like that that's right you know and, uh, now I'm trying to do a plant I'm doing it you know and then he's talking about positioning the right. employees of the of the of the dry cleaner and, uh, uh, and then he then the payoff is nothing mm -hmm. and he goes all that for that you know and, <laughs> and he goes but it doesn't matter you over there and, you know uh yeah, you really can't do it, can you? You really can't. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm just like, I love this bit. I'm not going to remember it. I like, I yeah. remember how it feels. I remember the thing he's talking about, right? Maybe. But yeah, it's not because it's so free flowing. It's really hard to nail it. Down. It really is. It's like, uh, I, I again, I watch it again. And I was laughing out loud, which is, you know, as a jaded... Although I do like to laugh. I'm a comic who likes to laugh. Sure. Uh, I'm not the guy in the back room going, oh, it's funny. I'm not that guy at all. If, it, <laughs> if it's funny, I'm going to laugh. Yeah. Um, but I was on the couch in my home, alone, laughing out loud at some of these bits. Sadly, now I can't tell you any of them. Uh, mainly because I'm 97 years old and I don't have a memory anymore. <laughs> but because of that reason, it yeah. so flows so beautifully mm -hmm. that... Uh, I wonder if there's any fear on his part, though. I mean, he might not care about it. But some people... Arguably, most people in entertainment are very worried about a legacy. They're worried about making it check to check. I understand that, too. Yeah. But legacy is a thing. And in comedy, legacy doesn't depend on, but is definitely helped by something like quotability. Monty Python wouldn't be around, as, they wouldn't be as strong if nerds weren't constantly You're right. quoting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's some power to that. To that, to that, you know, Richard, you know, coined from hell. This is what this is what I was reading. Is that true? Yes. Is that that's one hundred percent true? There's no doubt in my mind. Because he says it about twenty times in this special. Yes. 
He was the. It was the. <laughs> and it was the thing from hell. It's yeah. the thing from hell. Yeah. You know, she's got lipstick from hell, yes, and, and then the lipstick goes on. It's on somebody's house. You know, and, mm-hmm. and he does the the act out, and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was the. I, I remember in the eighties, nobody was saying it, and then Richard Lewis was saying it, so and then weird. we all were saying it. Yeah. Um, well, there's another one that he says. Uh, quite frankly, quite, uh, that's what it is. Quite frankly, and he says yes. that a ton. Oh, yeah. And there's a third one that he says a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's frightening. It's frightening. Is that what it is? It might be. He does say that a lot. I mean, it, it's just so weird to me. I guess again, there's there's where my perspective is skewed. I'm picking up comedy from a point where when I started listening and watching comedy, it was already a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The concept for it's so evocative that I'm sure it's been used in marketing and titles and this yes. and that, left and right. So I guess I can understand why he'd be pissed. But <laughs> he does get a little ticked off about it. And I, I think I he does. Why? I can see why. Although at the same time. It's not a bad legacy. It, nope. it, at least it's an undercurrent. But I don't think I don't think people know it was. They him. don't know that, right? And Same I think it was the... also at a time where you didn't think to, you know, uh, like I'm sure Larry the Cable Guy has, you know, trademarked "Get Her Done." Oh, I'm sure yes. Whereas Richard probably in in 1980 80, or mm-hmm. whenever he started saying it, mm-hmm. you know, we heard it in '85. Sure. Uh, but he's got that great short film that he did on SNL, you know, "Diary of a Young Comedian," yeah. which mm-hmm. is. Damn it! Is that wonderful? That is just brilliant. Yeah, you know he might say it there once or twice, mm-hmm. maybe. I, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. I haven't seen that in years, but he, I'm sure he didn't think in 1981 I should trademark from hell, right? Because it's gonna take off. Sure. I mean, if it, it's hard for me because I'm I'm one of those people who would rather, and I'm not him, so I can't say this. I'm not the man with that career. I'm not the man with the thing that took off and became its own fucking thing. But, I mean. The I, I'm sorry, I'm just completely stammering here, but it, it's a very interesting because I guess I just finished a documentary about a very similar concept where something that something somebody invents, their invention of it gets completely washed away, and it, but it's still something that people love or use and enjoy, and it's just a part of the undercurrent of their culture, and that should be satisfying, you would think. But again, I I am an entertainer, so I do understand why. Yeah, isn't. <laughs> yeah, I understand wanting credit for it, but there is something to be said for just like letting people have it. Well, that's true. You know. It, but but again, as you pointed out, as you're watching him perform in 1985 mm-hmm. as a young man or 38 years old, however old he is in that special, mm-hmm. that guy's not going to let it go. You sure. know what I mean? No, that no, that guy, like even I think it's either on a I'm exhausted or I'm doomed where he goes, it's it was the it was the I, I, I'm, I'm making this up. Uh, it was the day from hell. I, I feel like I'm stealing for myself at this point. Mm-hmm. Like he even acknowledges yeah. that it's become something and that he's now uncomfortable saying it because it almost looks like he's joining mm-hmm. the lexicon. Yeah, no, that makes sense too. I, 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 but then the other thing is I wonder is, is it an invention or is it just his personality that the man's going to say that a lot? We all have those things. That oh, we sure. Say, you know, and <clears throat> quite frankly, and I'm sure I know I say that a lot. And if, if it's because of him, thank you, Richard Lewis. But it's, it's one of those things where it becomes part of your personality. So if it's an invention, that's one thing. But if it's just who you are, yeah, it caught on because of who you are. Sure. They're further compliments. But that, I mean, and you're exactly right. The further compliments, like the fact that from hell caught on mm-hmm. from a comedian. Yeah. Like you can get her done. Sure. Is, is done. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Because mm-hmm. there wasn't one. 100%. But you know what I mean? It's gone. It, it's still there and his audience still loves it. Sure. But it's not really a thing anymore. No. From hell is still around. Yeah. And we got it from a comedian. Yeah. And and that's the other thing I love about Richard Lewis is, yes, he had that sitcom with Jamie Lee Curtis in the 80s mm-hmm. and maybe even early 90s. 
He's done some acting. Uh, he's great in that movie Drunks. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 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 a terrific actor. But it, you know him as a comedian, and I love that. Like Brian Regan, you know yeah. Brian Regan's a comedian. Yeah. You know Bill Burr's done some acting, and probably will do more acting. But right now, you know Bill Burr as a comedian. Sure. Louis, you know as this TV. Not you. I'm saying you uh, understood. But I, I, I am in there too. So yes. Um, but you know what I mean. I do. Yeah. But these guys who I and, I, and George do a, uh, you know, he just became legendary. George Carlin. Sure. You knew them as a comedian. Robert Klein and I and I think like what you said a little bit on your episode. You didn't really know him as a comedian. Right. You knew him as Robert Klein. Yeah. He was a presence. Yeah. More than anything else, which is very weird to me. Right. Now knowing his work. And then to think that he was so influential yeah, yeah. to a lot of us. Yeah. That was the other thing, too, is I mean, just to skip back to that album a lot, is it's just, it's still, the fresh isn't the right word, but so solid that it's undeniable. And yes. that's why I really liked doing that, and I'm looking forward to listening to, like, Child of the 50s and the other ones, too. But um, the uh, His one that came out in 1990, I think, is, is a little... He was going through a very angry time. Okay. Robert Klein, now we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that album is, uh, it's got Making Love in the 80s, A-I-D-I-E-S, oh, uh, is one of the, you know, because he always has a song on his albums, mm-hmm. you know, because he's mm-hmm. you know, a song and dance guy, more of a song guy. Uh, and he's great in uh, They're Playing Our Song, mm-hmm. the great Broadway show, off-Broadway show. Um, he's great in that. I think that's with Lucy Arnaz. Is that right? That's not right? Anybody? It's not Lorna Luft. Who's Liza Minnelli's sister? Sister? Is it Lucy Arnaz? Wait. Oh, yeah. no. no, no, no. Lorna Luft, yeah, it's her sister. Yeah. It's not her, though. Okay. Then, then I'm way <laughs> off. I don't know. I don't know. It might be Lucy. Who gives a shit? Uh, anyway, he's great in it. Uh-huh. And so, you know, Robert always would do this, you know, the work music into his act and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but they, that album in 90, he, I think he was going through a horrible divorce. Okay. I think. Mm-hmm. And so the album's a little, it's not the brilliant 74, 75, 76 albums that he put out. Yeah. It's good, but it's not bad. God, my, well, my grandfather was 70 years older than I was. Uh, I was five, he was 75, I was 10, he was, you know, kept going up like that. He was very consistent about that. And uh, he's, a, he's a depressed guy. He, uh, well, he left his grief to science, which I felt was like a major, major thing. He used to sleep like this. It was sad. He used to go... Oh, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm nowhere. No, that's not... And he wore his pants up to his neck. This is what I didn't understand. That was what I thought a man was. His pants were over here. So his, like, his arms came over here. His balls were hanging over here. His eyes were here. Who was he? Who was this man? You know? And he had breath from hell. I had... It was frightening. We all had bad breath, but he was like... He could wipe out like a nation. It was frightening. And you could be in the greatest mood, and as soon as Grandpa would talk to you, it was over. I'd go, oh, I got a great prom day. How are you doing? Oh, but I don't have a goal. I don't know what I'm going to do after I get out of school. And he passed away, and I had to leave, like, after death mints on the grave. And I was like... Uh... I, and he might be one of those people. There, there are some stand-ups where you can sort of... You get the impression that... You get more of the obvious impression that their world is colliding with their comedy, whereas, again, Richard Lewis is a guy whose world and his comedy seem inseparable. It's all, it's all there, right? Yeah, so just so maybe you can give me an idea of the, the next the albums that follow and stuff. Is it 
Is it basically this? Like, does it feel the same way? It feels this a year later. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It yeah. feels like I, I worked with Richard, and I cannot pull the year. He was in Columbus, Ohio, and it was one of those deals where before I... No, I know. I was. I was headlining everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, the Columbus Funny Bone uh, wanted me to prove I could headline. Oh, okay. So they were like, well, why don't you headline Tuesday, Wednesday... And then uh, it'll be a two-man show. You and Richard Lewis done, <laughs> done. Yeah, I'm in. I don't. I, I don't care. I'm in. Oh my god! And this was it's probably ten years ago now, maybe even longer. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't remember exactly. Um, and I sat in the back and watched every show. Mm-hmm. I watched every show. And he would have. He was working on a new act, maybe for a special. I don't mm-hmm. know what he was doing. Uh, and he had some rough shows, and he had some great shows. Yeah. And the rough shows were by design because he's trying stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I sat there, I sat in the back and watched every one of them. Uh, never more honored to open up for anybody, you know. And I've I opened bet. up for, like I said, Klein, and I opened for uh, for Riser early on in my career. Um, you know, Rickles doesn't have an opener, or else that would be a uh-huh. thrill too. Right. But you know, to to finally open up for Richard Lewis and and be on that same bill was you know was. One of the most exciting things in my career, of course. And um, we had very little interaction, mm-hmm. um, but I, you know, I, I spoke very honestly on stage every night. Uh, but long-windedly to get into your answer, it was still 1985 Richard Lewis, mm-hmm. but through the 2005 mouthpiece. But it felt correct, right? It felt right. Oh it? yeah! Oh my, absolutely! Yeah. And I wonder again. I wonder if that's being true to himself or being true to a thing he created. I think it's true to himself, yeah. and that's based. And, and, and I'm gonna, having grown up in Chicago and listening to two other heroes of mine, Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer, uh-huh. who were radio guys, okay. and they were doing, quote unquote, shock jock stuff before anybody else, mm-hmm. uh, and and I mean before anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard was a regular guest on there. Whenever okay. Richard would come into town, because he worked Zanies a lot. Richard in the I want to say the late seventies and eighties, he okay. worked Zanies a lot. Uh, so he was a guest on. He was a guest with Stephen Gary, um, and that was Richard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Richard on the radio was Richard on stage. Yeah. Was Richard on panel for Letterman? Yeah. Was you know that Richard? And then when he eventually did my podcast, and you know I think we did an hour and a half to two hours together. Uh, that was Richard Lewis. You know, that's and, awesome. and it's a it's a calmer Richard Lewis. Sure, sure, sure. But it's still that's that's him and. You know, uh, one time when it, you know when he was calling to confirm doing that podcast, you know, because he's an older guy who you know they still use the telephone. Sure, of course. And I pick it, I go hello, and he goes hello. Who the fuck you don't you don't say hello? That's what you said. You're fucking hero or, or something like it's like it, it was like and it was like yes, that's exactly what Richard Lewis should say to me. Like it was perfect. You know what I mean? Um, Holy shit! Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't. Did he say hero? I feel like I'm ripping off myself because I always call myself people's hero. So maybe now I'm stealing from me. Whatever he said, it was, it was something That's amazing. along those lines. It was great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm an old man. Don't play. Don't toy with me. I know he said that. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'll bet he loves that. Anything, that. anything that adds a layer that you can complain about when that's the kind of comedy you do, that's boom. fantastic. Right? Oh, it's amazing. Yes. I mean, just the amount of leverage you can get out of breaking a bone. You know, anything. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, he's... Uh, and I think underappreciated. Yeah. As weird as that's, as much as we just said from hell became something. Right. 
I don't think a lot of comics mm-hmm. will say Richard Lewis is one of the best. They're not, it, and I think he's, you know, he, obviously, again, he's in my top five. It takes things like this, though, like an interview like this, to sort of bring me back around on it. Because I, I wouldn't have thought Richard Lewis. Because I, I did, again, didn't watch his specials as a kid. I, mm-hmm. I, may, I must have seen one, something like it. I know I watched the sitcom because my parents watch endless amounts of TV. Mm-hmm. But it, it does take stuff like this sometimes to remind me. And I mean, like, a lot of comics that I meet... I, sorry, I brought this up on the podcast a bunch. But a lot of the younger comics I meet, and when I say younger, I mean, like, my age... Are, they don't know, like I asked about a comedy album, screw vinyl. They didn't listen to any comedy albums growing up. And again, maybe that's TV. Maybe that's, I just downloaded random shit that sounded cool. Because, And I, I get, I relate to that, but that's how I discovered more stuff. I, I d- discovered Lenny Bruce because I could steal his albums. You mm-hmm. know? So that's how I learned what Lenny Bruce was. So, And a yeah, guy your age enjoyed Lenny Bruce. Yeah, I did. Of course I did. There's a bit, I still can't find that. I'm actually hunting down... I still I don't know what album it's in. I'm going to ask Dan Pasternak because I'm sure he knows he owns every album that's ever existed. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely love it and I related to it. Great. Yeah, especially his bit about how to and I'm going to use a word we don't use anymore: how to make your colored friends comfortable at parties. One of my favorite things ever. Really? Yes. He just says, "How about that, Joe, Joe Lewis? Hell of a fighter." That's that's it. Just and it's a it's a thing that people have done since a million times. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought he did brilliantly. Anyway, but yeah, it, it is weird. Like the comedians that I, I, some people I might ask to be on the show were like, I didn't listen to any comedy albums. They didn't listen to any comedy. Any comedy. Yet they got into comedy. Yeah. I, so I don't know where the influence comes from. May, again, maybe it's just TV. Maybe TV was so prevalent that it, uh, but was for me too. I mean, my mom was raised on television. So my mom was raised a lot on TV. I was raised on TV, but I still had this desire I had to listen to these right things. something drew me again I'm not doing stand-up but something drew me is like I this is a thing I have to listen to sure so you know same reason I watched uh, Citizen Kane at 10 didn't understand it but I'm like oh I from what I understand I'm supposed to watch this. right you know so just sheer curiosity about that made me listen so it does kind of blow my mind it, bl- it blows my mind yeah because is it you know, again, I can only speak from my experience, but it was, you know, we all we all watched Saturday Night Live and went to school Monday morning and talked about it. Right. You know, if we saw a comedian on Carson the night before, we all talked about it. Or at least I talked about it with the teachers. Oh. Because, you know, <laughs> if there was a comic on, my mom would let me stay up to watch the comic. That's comics. awesome. Um, which was great, you know, which is how I discovered... You know, she discovered Steve Martin before anybody, in my opinion. Yeah, my yeah. mom, That's awesome. obviously not. He was on sure. The Tonight Show. Of course, but... But she was like, you got to watch this guy. He's amazing. I'm now going to balance my nose on this microphone. And she would tell me about it. And then one night I'm in bed, and she woke me up, and she's like... She goes, that guy I was telling you about's on. You live with family your whole life. Like, apparently, I, uh, I moved out, uh, out here. I, you know, I left the family, and uh, I live in a predominantly uh, anxious section of, of town. And, like, in the area of Santa I don't know. I see these people you know, around my apartment. They have kids. Gee, I'm in my 30s now. I'm just, I always try to say, gee, what am I going to do? I'm not going to have a child. I'll be like an old, one of these old pops. It depresses me. I'll get married in 10 years and she'll have a career. I'll have a kid. Maybe I'll be 63. He'll be a little league. I'll be 111. And, you know, it's ridiculous. I'll be 111 when he's in the little league. He'll have to wheel me in in like a glass bubble. It makes me depressed. You know, your son's bunting, Mr. Lewis. Give, give me my bun pill a minute. I just got. And I feel stupid. I don't know enough of you. I don't want to die yet. I don't know anything. I, I had this dream of like being on the death, but I have to be surrounded by pals who have to just give me as much info as fast as possible. Otherwise, I'll feel like, a, like an idiot when I die. Like, well, what, what's racket pigeon steering? I need, I, 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 
But on the other hand, it, you know, you get to this point, if you're a man or a woman, as if I had to, you know, describe how many genders there are, you, you know, <laughs> you get set in your ways. I'm eccentric. I know it'd be a, I can't imagine having someone wanting to live with me now. I can't imagine lying in bed with someone and she's like, it's 2 a.m., where are you going? Oh, I know, it's 2 a.m., I have to skip to my loo. I mean, how, who's going to want to put up with this, you know, at this point? But, uh, eh. And I would, and then I watched him, and then you know, a guy named Pete Barbuti, uh-huh. uh, who was just, I think he lives in Vegas now, was a guy who, I don't think I have anything in common with comedically, uh-huh. uh, but I remember as a kid loving Pete Barbuti, loving him. He's got a great name, right? Mm-hmm. Pete Barbuti, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, but he would, he would hit, uh, he would take out a broom and hit the broom on a microphone. I've seen that, and I forget what the that bit was. Okay. But I remember loving it, and it was the same deal. If I saw in the in the TV guide, you know, and comedian Pete Barbuti, mm-hmm. you know, I would sit through Angie Dickinson and Joe Namath and a third lesser guest to watch Pete Barbuti. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, so I think maybe your generation, or even younger, mm-hmm. Comedy Central is there, sure. So they don't have to buy albums, right? And I and I, and I know that's exactly what you just said, but because of television, but. To me, it just clicked that for me, it was Carson and then eventually Letterman yeah. watching the comics on there. You know, Leno, you know, what's, you know, what's my beat tonight, Jay? Uh, Dave? Uh, you know, which we, again, my, my cousin Scott and I talked about, you know, what, you know, uh, what's my beef? You know, Jay Leno was like, did you see him? He came out and he drove, he rode his motorcycle out. You know, and then, you you know, you, you know, now that I work at Conan, uh-huh. that was prepared three weeks before that. Uh-huh. You know, hey, Jay's going to ride his bike out. Eh, can we do that? Well, I got to get a license. I got to get permission, blah, blah, blah. Right. Whereas to us, it's like, he, he rode his motorcycle on the stage. <laughs> and then sat down and was interviewed. Uh, so for us, that was the outlet for comedy. Yeah. And then if you wanted more, mm-hmm. it would go into the library. Yeah. And... You know, taking the comedy there. albums out. Yeah, and uh, which I remember getting that Johnny Carson one. You know that that oh, that, yeah. uh, that best of. I think we're gonna be doing that one soon, actually. Um, and then you know, eventually buying them. And yeah, then, yeah. That's so good. Actually, you know, that's something too that's come up more often than not. And I don't know if it's. I guess it's now CDs, of course, but that you know, comedy albums are still available at those things that still sometimes exist called libraries, so people should not forget that. I like to point people in directions where they can find this shit. Right. You know, if you don't if you feel bad stealing it, which I didn't when I was twenty because I was an asshole, but you know, go to a library. Uh, cool. to, I, if you're desperate, go to YouTube because sometimes I have to do that if I can't find it in any other. Is way. that true? Oh yeah, because YouTube. I mean, you know, if, if especially if it's something super rare, I'm more if it's something I can't buy. Uh, yeah, YouTube is... So cool. somebody will upload... An entire album or entire tracks. Oh. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I don't search for your name, because who knows? Maybe it's happened. I don't Maybe do that because I don't want to read the comments. Oh, no, no, no. Smart so man. I don't... I, you know, like, eventually you get numb to it. Uh... <laughs> no, you don't. No. I'm kidding. I'm lying. No. I'm lying. Right? Uh, eh, it's the worst. And everyone. Yeah, no, it is horrible. Let's, you know... That's a long story for every other podcast in the world. You're so. right. Um, but, okay, so if you're going to condense maybe into a sentence or two why somebody should seek this out, if they've never... If, let's just be honest. Not enough people know who Richard Lewis is somehow. Somehow. So, uh, I why seek it, it out? What's I, again, because I think, uh, not unlike Carlin or Seinfeld or Klein, influential mm-hmm. into what guys like me and, and Todd Glass and Andy Kindler, uh, Paul Tompkins even, even sure. though Paul's more of a... Uh, structure wordsmith, yeah. but he'll improvise, of course, better than any of us. He's, yeah, uh, you know, 
one of the top five funniest men on the planet, mm -hmm. and he needs more pubs, so I'm glad I got it out for him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, that deconstructing of what just happened wasn't happening. Yeah. And for that reason, to go back and watch this from 85 mm -hmm. and see a guy doing it when you think that, again, I saw Andy Kindler deconstruct de the deconstruct. And he's like, Jesus right. Christ. And he's great. That's and he's amazing. great and brilliant. That's amazing. I like to think I'm decent. Todd Glass. Richard was doing it before any of us. Yeah. And so for that reason, people should go and investigate these specials. And the thing is, too, once it became a thing, like all things that catch on, being meta and being self-referential can eventually get driven into a fucking hole. Oh, people boy. People don't know what they're doing. There's, know, it becomes shit. The guys that don't know what they're doing, mm -hmm. they're doing it. It's like, you know, with, with as much crowd work as I do, mm -hmm. which is not what Richard does. It's not, you know, that's, that's me. I'm off the top of my head and crowd stuff. Mm -hmm. People that do crowd stuff that suck at it, <laughs> it's the worst thing. They're the, they're the reason people are afraid to sit in the front row. Yeah. I don't want to be made fun of. Well, I, Jimmy Pardo, I don't want to sit in the front row. He attacks you. Do I? Listen to what I've actually said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing. Right. Nothing hurtful. <laughs> no. But they saw a guy who doesn't, didn't know how to do it attack them, yeah, you know? 100%. And, and by the way, my example was, why are you wearing flip-flops, which may be an attack. <laughs> so, take what I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> there are harsher attacks. Can, right? Yeah, who cares? It's really... Look right? at the guy with the hat. Is that a bit that people do? That sounds like a bad... An observational bit. Although I feel like I've I've seen some good people do bad bits. It happens every once in a while. You can do good stuff on hats. I mean, but if if it's just look at the guy with the hat, that's all I'm saying. If that's your only, well, if that's your, if that's I'm trying your, to give you a bad example. Although good I, example of bad. I will I will do that for but for humor. I'll go uh, I go uh, I go ah oh, there's that guy in the hat. Yeah, no, and then you just funny. keep going. Right, that's, that's just funny. stupid. But that you know that is an instinctive word choice thing though. Like, you instinctively know that word choice. I don't want to get too mechanical. It gets too annoying to people. But that's an instinctive word choice. You know that saying it in that exact way is fine right. as shit. Right, That's an example of what Jimmy Pardo does, everybody. Some silence here for a second. Okay, room tone. We're getting room tone? Sure. Not just because I wanted it to be awkward. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I... This has been fun. I will apologize to you on your own show for how long it took <laughs> to get this in the books. It's nobody's fault. No, you, you know what? Like, we're, uh, you're busy, man. Busy people. You are busy people. But your persistency, uh, I'm glad that you stayed. Uh, Thank you. Uh, say that to so-and-so's agent. <clears throat> I won't say who that person was. I bitched about him on Facebook the other day. Did you really? Yeah, somebody's agent really shit on me. <laughs> oh, they, they didn't like how persistent you were? Yeah. Every other agent, though, that I've ever like been that persistent with has been like, oh, thanks. Thanks for checking in and checking in. Um... I think, uh, as you know what, as a guy that books a podcast as well, mm -hmm. I know there are times where you have to be, and I don't like it. I sure. don't like doing no, it. No, of course not. You know when you're writing Jimmy Pardo for the 15th time that there's a chance that I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. Uh-huh, sure. But it's kind of like, hey, I, you know, if this is going to happen, i got to remind you to have it happen. Of course. I'm speaking the obvious. Anyway, I'm glad that you did, because uh, it also forced me to start listening to your show, which I think is great. Thank you. And um, I'm going to look. I look forward to uh, listening to more of them. Thank you. And uh, and then uh, get get ready for the part of bump, because mm -hmm. you're going to get uh, you're going to get a lot of listeners on this. I one. hope so. I hope so. And so to those people, I apologize for you hearing the same three stories I've told about my childhood <laughs> over and over and over. Yeah, I know that 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 is one thing about podcasts. I feel bad. For anybody who's a guest, I can tell they've had to tell the story before. Although, seemed fresh to me. But you know what? That said, I don't know. Uh, I have since 
stopped the although I, I, as I just apologized, uh -huh. I've since stopped apologizing because the goal is you have X amount of listeners that don't know who the fuck I 100%. am. Hundred percent. And so if I, they I get to hear that story for the first time. Yeah, I mean, that's my show sort of depends on people not knowing who either the guest is or who the album is. That's the point. Well, this is two know? for two. <laughs> that's not fair to Richard Lewis. I took him down with me for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Where can people find you? Uh, oh, thank you. I don't know when you're releasing this. Uh, I can probably do it this week. It doesn't have to be. You can hold it. Uh, I have part Castathon coming up. Oh, when is that? On the 28th of November. Okay. It's the day after Thanksgiving. It mm -hmm. is the 12 hour marathon version of my podcast. Benefits Smile Train. It benefits Smile Train, exactly. And uh, which is the great organization that uh, goes to third world countries. Mm -hmm. And for $250 and 45 minutes, they fix cleft palates. And you can change a child's life for as little as 250 bucks. And so for 12 hours, we do a basically a telethon, mm -hmm. which, again, goes back to my childhood of watching the Jerry Lewis telethons for three straight days mm -hmm. and trying to figure out who's going to come out. And, hey, Stephen Edie at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> right. Uh, and loving it. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's jugglers who aren't that great at 6 in the morning. You know? <laughs> so, but this is, you know, as you look around, we're in my yeah. studio. These are the, the people that have done it in past years. Insane. Great people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a new guest every 20 to 30 minutes. For twelve hours, and last year we raised one hundred forty-four thousand dollars. Good. God. And so we've raised close to a half a million, uh, if not over a half a million, for Smile Train so far. So that is my. How long have you been doing it? Since two thousand nine. Oh yeah, I should have just looked on the fucking yeah. wall. That's amazing. So that's uh, that's my November. It's all about that. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, did that help get me on this show today? Yes, it did, Jason. I got to get the word out. Uh, but I appreciate you having me on. Of course, it Thank was you. it was great fun. Twitter is Jimmy Pardo. That's what I thought. Yeah. Anywhere else? JimmyPardo.com. JimmyPardo.com. Uh, and and of course the podcast Never Not Funny. And of course, which is the funny. yes the twelve hour version. Yes. Is the weekly Never Not Funny. Right. Awesome. Great. Thank you for doing. My that. honor. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. on vinyl is a production of stolen dress entertainment it is produced by mike warden and is hosted and edited by jason klom our theme song was composed and performed by richard levinson please visit stolendress.com to listen to our other podcasts read our blogs read our tweets watch our videos and read our books please subscribe on itunes and if you like us give us a five-star rating and a nice review you can find us on facebook.com slash comedy on vinyl twitter at comedy on vinyl and find everything else at comedy on vinyl.com 